um, looking in Acts chapter 2 at the New Testament church, specifically Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But what I want to ask us is, what is pure worship in a church? What does that look like? I mean, we see many, many, many churches out there. You can see them on every street corner um, of all kind of denominations, all kind of sizes. Uh, There's big churches, small churches. So what makes them so different from one another and what should we be looking to be like as a church? Well, we have the example given to us in Scripture in the New Testament church. It's as simple as that. We are to be like the New Testament church. So how should we worship? What should we at heritage look like in our worship? in the way that we commune with one another outside of worship, in the way that we interact with one another throughout the week. What do we at Heritage need to be? How are we to focus, to live, to commune? And we see the exhortations all through the epistles of how to function, how to live scripturally, how to operate as that body that is fitly jointed together. But what I want to do today is just give us an example here of the New Testament church. And Lord willing, over the next few messages, we're going to look at just this one verse of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So what happens here, before we read it, is this is the story of Pentecost. Um, the, The faithful were with the apostles. They had already made Matthias the 11th, the 12th apostle. After Judas Iscariot had betrayed, they... They uh, made Matthias the next apostle. And they're gathering together with the brethren. And they're praying, deciding, what do we do? We're waiting for the Lord. And then in power, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them in a mighty way. And they feel the Lord's presence through the Holy Spirit. And they go out and they begin to preach and to proclaim. And they begin to speak in many different tongues. Now, this is not um, Holy Spirit language gibberish. This is actual languages of other countries and other tongues that people spoke. And you see that in, uh, in these um, verses here. Uh, they were uh, the, uh, the Egyptians. They had Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, people from Judea, Viagra, uh, Cretes, Arabians. And they say, we are hearing them speak in our own tongue. So... They're speaking in their languages through the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, people begin to mock, are these men drunk? And Peter says, it's not even the third hour. Of course we're not drunk. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter stands with the other 11 apostles and he proclaims God's word. And in short, what he proclaims is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the one whom men with wicked hands took and they crucified Him. And he was buried, but he was risen again. And he is now at the right hand of God, and he has made him both Lord and Christ. And that is the message that the Apostle Peter is preaching to these people. And the power of the Spirit moves in such a mighty way that 3,000 people were converted and they say, what do we do? And he says, believe and be baptized. And they were baptized. So now you have 3,000 people 
plus the ones that were already gathered together. So it's not just the 3,000. You have the, the 12 apostles and all the faithful disciples that had stayed faithful to Jesus even after the crucifixion that are meeting together in the upper rooms and the Holy Spirit came upon all of them plus the 3,000. Now they've been converted. Now they've been baptized. All these different cultures, different types of people. Now what do they do? What are they supposed to do, these 3,000 people? What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to be after such a dramatic change? This is literally life-altering change that has just happened to these people. They have become new creatures. They are new people with a new heart. And they are following the way, as it was called. So how do they, the 3,000 plus, function together and walk the way as the way? Because they weren't called Christians yet. So how do they operate together? And it tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread. I've got my Bible turned to the wrong chapter. I didn't have my glasses on, so y'all excuse me there. <laughs> and, and then we keep reading. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, and every, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. So now we've got 3,000 plus, and then daily more and more and more are being added to their numbers. But I want us to look specifically at 242. And the verses that come after that will be sprinkled in there, but specifically... What was the first thing that they did? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking bread and in prayers. This church was, and, and we should be, a community of born-again believers. That's what the church is. And these people are continuing steadfastly. That simply means they were devoted to they were completely devoted to. Some translations actually say instead of continued steadfastly, they say devoted to. It's either both are the same thing. They mean the same thing there. The church committed itself to the teaching and the preaching of the apostles' doctrine. They committed and devoted themselves to the fellowship of one another. They committed and devoted themselves to the breaking of bread together. And they committed and they devoted themselves to prayer. The church here that we see in Acts was far more than just a social gathering of people who came from different backgrounds that want to share their cultural experiences. Now this was the power of God manifested in sinners' lives that made them new creatures, that made them of every nation, kindred, and tongue, of the free and of the slave, of the Scythian and the Greek, the male and the female, everybody was now something in common. They had Christ. 
It was the power of God manifested on earth through the Holy Spirit in these people that came from all of these different cultures and backgrounds, and then they come together. And the early church did not grow by attracting people to their culture, their former culture. The Scythians didn't say, hey, why don't you come to our church and learn about what we did in our country? And the Egyptians didn't say, why don't you come to our church and learn what it's like in Egypt? They said, come and learn what it is to be like Christ. Something changed in them. Their identity had changed from their culture to their Christ. The the church is not going to appeal to the world, to draw in the world to be like them. What the church must do is show Jesus Christ. The early church didn't, didn't grow by appealing to carnal desire. They weren't added daily to the church because the church was appealing to the world in their carnal desires and what they wanted. It was the glorious gospel that transformed those 3,000 plus that was still daily transforming people's lives. If the church today and beyond is to continue to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, this church must be a faithful steward of His gospel. It must commit itself to the teaching and the preaching and be committed steadfastly to be devoted to the preaching of God's Word. Now the 3,000 who confessed and those that were already following with the apostles are the they that it's referring to here. And this is the first community of Christ. This is the first church here on the earth after His death that really began as what we would call the church. And we're looking at a group of people who have been transformed with a powerful Transformation. We're looking at a group of people who before were worshiping every false god, every false idol, or even themselves. But Jesus Christ was crucified. He was buried and He was risen from the dead and they are worshiping that risen Savior. Something something powerful happened to these people that... No amount of pressure from the authorities, no amount of ridicule that they're going to receive down the road or that they were receiving at that time, no amount of persecution was going to take them away from being dedicated to the worship of the true God. Because you'll see later on in Acts that they go out preaching, all of these people go out preaching, and then Stephen gets stoned to death and is murdered. And the people begin to disperse. They needed to be concerned for their safety, but they didn't want run away from the gospel. They didn't run away from the church. They dispersed throughout and created those churches. And they preached the gospel everywhere that they went because they were continuing steadfastly in the doctrine of the apostles. They were continuing steadfastly and devoted to the true preaching of God's Word because they had had a powerful transformation in them which made them true believers. This transformation is what enables them to be able to bear that ridicule, to bear that scorn, to bear that persecution. Jesus taught of the gospel seed, and Brother Mike referenced that this morning, of the gospel seed being sown on the ground on which the seed landing affects the response of the growth where it lands. You see that in Matthew chapter 13. Well, tribulation causes those with no spiritual roots to flee. This, 
the tribulation comes and they run. They can't handle it. Then you have those that have the cares of the world. They want to be faithful. They're trying and then the cares of the world creep in and they can't bear fruit. But this group of people were what Matthew chapter 13, 23 calls those who have the seed planted in the good ground. They heard the word. They understood the word. And as a result, they were fruitful. Even in the midst of all the cares of the world, even in the midst of the thorns choking in, the persecution and the tribulation coming, they bore fruit. And they stayed faithful in the midst of all of it. I want to take one moment here to mention something. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself in the other sermons. But one note here is that these people were not transformed and then became recluses. They did not have the power of Christ make them into a new creature and then they went to be a hermit in a cave. They did this together. And that is what the church is. You are not a church all by yourself, out alone. You are the church of Jesus Christ together. You are the body fitly joined together. How many times I've heard people say, yes, I worship God, yes, I love God, but I I do it at home by myself because church is just full of hypocrites and sinners. Yes, yes it is. It's sinners that have been saved by the grace of God who are struggling along this road together. If you are worshiping alone in your home, there's no one there to draw you from the fire. There's no one there to exhort you, to warn you, to care for you. This church did it together. Brothers and sisters, this walk of Christ is not meant to be walked alone. And sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes it gets scary. Sometimes it gets painful. But you're not alone. You are in the midst of the people of God. You are His body together. Lean on one another. Be there for one another. Be together as this church. It's a life of lifting each other up in prayer and worshiping God together, which you read in 44 through 47 of Acts chapter 2, that they did all of this together in their prayer, in their worship, in their encouragement of one another, that they were doing this as a body. Verse 46 says that they continued together daily with one accord. That means one mind. And in singleness of heart. That means they were generously as if they were one. These people were operating in one mind and one heart. As a body of Christ. And that's who we, church, are to be. We're to be of one mind and one body and one desire and one heart together. But the church is to be those who are born again believers. The church is not just any people who come together and meet. The church is composed of saved people. Once lost to sin, but now redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and brought to life by the working of His Holy Spirit. That's who the church is. The church's design is not to structure itself in a way that the unsaved feel comfortable and right at home. The church has called out people who have been transformed. And those who do not know Christ have not been transformed. 
The church is to be those who have repented of their sins, who have followed in baptism, who have acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is who the church is. But sadly, many churches are built around the world and trying to look like the world, and the result is they end up catering to the world by preaching the doctrines of the world. The New Testament even saw this happen in some of those churches. It's not a new thing for unbelievers to be in the church and to affect the church. 1 John chapter 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. They would have been steadfast and devoted, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So even the New Testament church had people there who truly weren't there. Some felt just some emotional experience. Some were just saying, hey, everyone else is doing it. I might as well too. But this does not mean that we don't want unbelievers here in our midst. We want them to come. We want them to come and hear the gospel. We want them to hear the word of God. We want them to see your lives changed. We want them to see you worship. We want them to hear your prayers going up to a righteous Savior in public worship. We want them to hear the public scripture reading that we do every morning. We want them to hear you sing praises to a mighty God. And we want them to hear the preaching of the gospel from the pulpit. We want them here. But what should not happen is that the unbeliever is completely comfortable under the preaching of that word. They should be pricked. They should feel uncomfortable when they hear the word of God read from that stand. They should feel uncomfortable when they hear you worshiping a Savior. When they see your hands raised in praise to a mighty God. They should feel uncomfortable when they hear this gospel read and this gospel preached. They should be wiggling in their seats. They should not feel at home under the preaching of the Word. But we want them here. We want them to hear. It should make them feel that they are not right with God and that something is missing from their life. They should see the joy in you. And they should want that joy for themselves. But the church is not made of unbelievers. It is made of you, the believer, brother and sisters. That is the church. You are the church. The church is the people of God who have been convicted, who have been pricked in their hearts as they were here in this chapter, that were pricked in their heart. That is uncomfortable to be pricked to the heart. A prick is painful. That prick of the heart made them feel that they were unworthy. That they were dirty. That they were a sinner. And that they needed that Savior who was crucified, who was buried, who was risen, who is now at the right hand of God. And they were pricked in their heart that they were sinners and they needed to follow in baptism. That's the pricking of the heart. And that's what this church is made up of. Unrepentant sinners should not be the church. Then, then we are unequally yoked with the unbelievers. If the unbelievers have say-so in the church, 
If the unbelievers are members in our midst just flippantly, if they're just joining and they're not confessing Christ as their Savior and we're not seeing the fruits, then we see 2 Corinthians chapter 6 which says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believes with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How can we dwell with the infidel and with the unbeliever? They are not the church. You are the church. And we as a church, we as a church have a duty, have a duty to make sure that the unbeliever is not a part of this church. But we have a duty to welcome the unbeliever into our congregation to hear the Word of God. That means we need to keep an eye out for each other. That we need to guard each other as a church. That we need to be togetherness so that we know when something is wrong in this church. That we feel it because we are of one mind and of one heart. We don't want to give that believer, that unbeliever, that false sense of security that they are okay as they are in our worship. This church we see in Acts chapter 2 was steadfast and devoted. They were completely attentive to this new faith, not their old ways. They were adhering to what they were being taught, not what they used to know. They were completely earnest in their devotion to this faith and to this teaching. So what was it that they were continuing steadfastly in as a church? The only one we'll cover today here is the Apostles' Doctrine. This church was not only a saved church, it was a scriptural church. This church was a church full of people who had been saved and who wanted to know the Word of God and God alone. They wanted to know the Apostles' Doctrine. It was a church dedicated steadfastly to the truth of the gospel. The apostles' doctrine simply means the teaching given to them from the apostles who received that teaching from Jesus Christ. It was not their own message, but the message of God Himself as He had spoken to them. Preaching took a priority in this church. The church is a place to learn of who God is and how we are called to be holy as He is holy. And this new church learned under the preaching of the apostles. And it's that same teaching now that you should be hearing in the churches where you are today. God's written word. That's the apostles' doctrine. It is this book, this holy Bible, this holy scripture, sanctified and breathed out by God. This is the apostles' doctrine. And this is what the church is to be taught still today. And it's to be taught in the congregation, in our homes, in our fellowship. But there is a special way when the church comes together to worship. When we hear the preaching of the Word of God. 
this preaching took a priority. It's to be taught by the elders to the church. And we elders do not preach our own doctrine. We do not preach our own teaching. We do not teach our own enlightenments. We're to preach the same word of God that the apostles taught the early church. And this teaching should bring about new learning to you. But it should also bring about renewed faith when you hear the Word of God. You should grow under this preaching of the Word to be more enriched in Jesus Christ through the preaching of this Word. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 2. They were meeting together daily and they were being added to them daily because the church was not just growing in numbers, it was growing in God. It was growing in learning. It was growing in who Jesus Christ is. And it was growing in the doctrine, which is the teaching. And that's the purpose of you sitting here right now today, is to grow in Christ. It's not just to hear Mike or I stand up here and stand and speak. It's to hear the doctrine of God and to grow thereby with it. We are all, we all come as new babies. As Christians, we all come not knowing a thing. We all come just knowing that I was a sinner saved by grace and I need Jesus Christ. And that is how we come as spiritual babies. A mother feeds her infant baby with the food that it needs to, that it needs to grow, to be nourished. The mother knows that baby's needs and Without the right nutrients, without the right feeding, without the right food, that baby does not grow properly or it will grow malnourished. So we don't start our babies on fish and chips. I love fish and chips. Probably one of my favorite meals. But Cammie's not going to let me give our little infant babies fish and chips. She's going to slap my hand away and say, I have the baby's food. I have what it needs. They'll get their fish and chips later when they're ready, when they can chew on it. But they need the milk. It's got the nutrients that the baby needs. Everything that the baby needs is in that milk. So that's how the new Christian starts, is on the milk of the Word. All new Christians start that way. And this is exactly how this church was. They needed daily feeding. They needed daily care. They needed to be taught daily the basics of the Lord and then as they grew spiritually so the feeding from the teachers would grow into meat from milk 1 Peter 2 2 says as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby there was a desire you are not meeting daily with thousands of people unless there is a strong desire to be there It's not going to happen. That was steadfast continuation. That was devotion. That they wanted so desperately to be together. They wanted so desperately to grow. They hungered for the milk of the Word. They desired for that pure spiritual milk in the early church. Oh, that we would have that same desire in our churches today in our hearts, in our families, that we would want God so desperately that we would be willing to meet daily with everyone just to grow, just to hear, just to learn. 
Not that when family devotion times come, everyone, including dad, rolls their eyes. Oh, this is so burdensome. I have to teach my crying kids at night. The wife is looking at you like, don't make this an hour because the baby's bedtime is coming and they're already crying. The dad's saying, I need to teach them. I need to teach them noble things. And you've got them from 20 years old down to one year old and you're figuring out, how do I feed them all? So then everybody gets frustrated. And then Sunday comes. You're like, oh my goodness, I didn't sleep last night. We had the longest week. We had so many events on Saturday. Hurry up. Where's your shoes? Where's your clothes? Just get in the van. I don't care if you have your shoes or not. Just get there. And then we get to the church and we plop ourselves down. We're like, okay, Lord, help me worship. Oh, that we had the desire of this New Testament church. That they just, they yearned for milk. That was their focus every day was, I want to grow. I want to learn. Lord, I want more and more of you. The rest of it doesn't matter. It can go to the wayside. I just want you and I want to learn from you. Oh, that we would cry out like a baby for its mother's milk. Let's talk about the milk and the meat. Let's look at the spiritual milk and the meat because that's what this church was doing. They were growing and they were being fed appropriately daily as we as the church are to be, as you as new Christians are to be, and you as old Christians are to be. Already hit my 30 minutes. So there's two passages I want us to consider here that Paul talks about in the milk and the meat. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. It's kind of scolding the church there. Church at Corinth, you should be on meat by now. But here I am again having to give you milk. As a baby, you've not grown. You're not digesting. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, he says, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have a need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe." But strong meat belongs to them who are of full age spiritually, even those who by reason of, uh, of use have their senses and exercise to discern both good and evil. So milk here is used to describe the spiritually immature or new. Meat is used to describe the spiritually mature. And in these passages, Paul is using this analogy of milk and meat. And he's correcting the people who should be more mature than they are. So church... Here at Heritage, those that have been people of God for years, you should be on meat. Those of you that are here that are new Christians, you should be on milk. Trying to give a baby meat or solid food before they're ready would be harmful to that baby. But it's not an either-or scenario. It's not you get milk or meat. You know, sometimes you're going to be mature in some areas and immature in some areas. You may need a little meat here and a little 
milk there, but the point is steady growth, steady progress in our growth. Now, this church was doing this daily. And the teachers were feeding them with food appropriate for them. So I acknowledge that some of the sermons that you're going to hear, you may hear more meat and less milk in this church. But it behooves us ministers to give both as appropriate. A new convert's going to need milk. But maybe sometimes they're going to need that privately with the pastors. Or privately in the small group. Or parents... In your home as you teach your children and you give them that milk. And then you come to the pastors for help and guidance. But you're going to find that a lot of times from the stand it's it's more meat. But we do try to sprinkle some milk in there too. But the point is the church is a mixture of babies and mature. And so I encourage you that are mature Christians, if you can help give milk, to those that are new, do so. Care for this body because you are one of singleness of mind and heart. The goal is for us to grow spiritually, to understand the knowledge and the things of God. And we do this through the preaching of the Word. And that's what this church was dedicated to. The Apostles' Doctrine. Both Timothy and Titus were exhorted by Paul, their spiritual mentor, on the importance of preaching of the Word. And that's exactly what Acts 2.42 is talking about, that they were continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 4, several verses in there. Verse 6 says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, what he has taught Timothy, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourishing up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto... Thou has attained. So Timothy, what I have taught you, you take that and you nourish the church with it. In verse 11, he says, These things command and teach. That's the doctrine. Verse 13, he says, Till I come again, give attendance to the reading, to the exhortation, and to the doctrine. And then in verse 16, he says, Take heed unto thyself. And unto the doctrine, the teaching, what you have learned, Timothy, and continue in them, be steadfast in them, be devoted to them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear. That is you, church. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1, 2 through 2, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom, preach. The Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort in all longsuffering and doctrine. That's what the New Testament church was doing. They were devoted to hearing that preaching of the Word. You, the believer, are to grow under this preaching of the Word. The pastors are called to be the one who is holding fast and faithful the Word as He hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Titus 1.9 The churches today are falling the way that Hosea warned of Israel. My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 They just didn't know God anymore. 
And we see the churches today that just don't know God because they have not been faithful to the doctrine and the teaching of the Word. The knowledge you receive from this Word is your food for you to grow. It's to to sustain you, to cause you to be a healthy church full of healthy Christians. The church, you, must be dedicated to hearing this doctrine. The preachers must be dedicated to studying and giving this doctrine. And then you must be dedicated to taking that word and that doctrine and reading it, meditating upon it, studying it as the Bereans did. You should do also. Dedication to the doctrine and teaching from the pastors to teach it, and the dedication from the church to receive it, absorb it, to study it, and for you to grow thereby. My prayer is that we would tune out the things of the world and that we would look back to this New Testament church, this example of Spirit-filled believers, and see the beauty and the simplicity of their worship. The beauty and the complete dedication that they had to receiving the Word of God. That is my prayer for heritage. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be as this New Testament church, that we would hunger so much for You, that we would be known as a church that continues steadfastly in the doctrine of Your Word, that we would be wholly devoted to the doctrine of Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would guide Mike and I, as we study Your Word, that as we stand before Your church to preach and to feed, that it would be good food, appropriate food for the church to grow. And that, Lord, this church would receive that food, that it would be dedicated, that they would be hungering to receive that Word. Even when the trials of life are around, that we would have a hunger and a dedication to receive the doctrine of Your Word. And it's in Jesus' name we ask for these things. Amen.